Well, hello, world. Now, I don't know what time of day it is where you are, uh, but we're over here in the UK, and this is Radio TCR, welcoming you to Out and About. And today, we're still out and about in the country of Northern Ireland. Now, that doesn't sound very far away from us, but it's probably far away from you. So I just want to introduce our resident minister, which is Hugh. I hope he's around. Are you there, Hugh? Yes, Aris, I'm here. And uh, glad to hear your sweet voice again. Ah, oh, there you go. A bit of the old Blarney stone coming out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I was just thinking, you know, we're still, aren't we? We're, we're back in lockdown again. And um, I was just thinking how, how useful this virtual studio has really turned out to be. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that, that we've, we've sort of got this program to be able to carry on and reach people out there with the word of God. And I believe you're gonna to talk to us today, well, commencing in 2 Thessalonians chapter one, and wherever that's gonna take us today, but I think it's about the man of sin that you want to talk to us about today. And that sounds really relevant to, do, to sort of where we are today. So Hugh, you go ahead and we'll just sit back and listen. Okay, just, just briefly, let us just briefly pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we just thank you for another day that we can communicate and contact one another through the medium of the radio station and uh, through the video. And we pray, Father, that you would bless your word to our hearts. We ask for the help and aid of the promised Holy Spirit himself to come and quicken your word to our hearts, to our lives, to those that listen. So God, you'd open our understanding and you would give us the, the way of speaking in such a manner that it will be received and accepted and understood and that your people would be built up and edified in their most holy faith. And we ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have covered a number of subjects uh, through the radio station. Um, there is a word, they, the, the university learned people use eschatology. It means the doctrine of the end times or the last things. And we have looked at, especially in those matters, uh, touching on Daniel and, and touching on the second coming. And uh, we have done a general uh, talk and speech on that. But today, um, I feel that one of the important things is that we must uh, refocus and just have a closer look at the subject of the man of sin. The man of sin. Now, I, the word antichrist has been used by many people on many occasions. And it's just interesting to know that from a scriptural point of view, the word antichrist is only used by one writer, by one apostle, and that is John, the apostle, and he used it in his letter. So something that has been used so often to talk about the so-called antichrist, um, it has been done in 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 22, 1 John 4 and 3, 
and Second John 1 and 7. Four times that word Antichrist is used in the whole of the New Testament. <clears throat> and it's only been used once by, uh, <clears throat> by John. And he's the only person that has mentioned it. Now, what we're going to look at today is the mention of the man of sin. I do believe that the man of sin could quite well be the Antichrist. But we'll, we'll only stick to the scriptures and we'll speak about what God speaks about. You see, I know that God knows what he's doing. And God knows what he's recording. And God knows what he has preserved. And God knows what the scriptures are about. So God knows exactly everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. So we'll take the scriptures as God has preserved them and recorded them for us. So we're going to look at the man of sin, but we'll, we'll just start off here as an introduction, going back again to the second epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Thessalonians. Let me just say that we have already covered these two epistles the first Thessalonians and the second Thessalonians, only specifically as regards the mention of the appearance and of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every reference in the first epistle of Thessalonians, I would like each and every person that's listening to take note of this statement because it is very true. Every reference in the first Thessalonian letter every reference refers to the coming of the lord jesus there's other things that are written there but i'm speaking specifically about the coming and the appearance of our lord jesus christ as promised by himself and as being told and spoken of that god would send him at the time of his choosing so every reference every scripture and they are recorded in, in already done for us on the radio and even on the video so they can be easily assessed. But if you're stuck or if you want help, either contact Aris or myself and I'll do my best to help you in that if you're that interested. But every reference in the First Thessalonians, the book and all the chapters are all referring, the five chapters there are all referring to the coming and the appearance of our Lord Jesus. Now, some time has passed between the first letter that Paul wrote and the second letter. Some think it's a year, a couple of years, but there's been some time passed and things have happened. So Paul is taking up his pen again, no doubt under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is guided by God and what he wants to say. And in the very first chapter, he brings up the subject again First of all, from verse one to verse six, he says that God understands and knows how his people are suffering from persecution, from opposition, and some are losing their lives. So God is well aware of what's going on in this world. Yeah. God knows exactly what his people are coming under. In every nation of the earth, every nation, God knows exactly where his people are and what they're being exposed to, and what persecutions they are under. And yes, we should pray for one another. We should pray for each and every one of us that follow the Lord Jesus. So Paul is speaking. He understands the, the uh, tribulation 
the persecution. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So the church of Jesus through the centuries have gone through many tribulations. And we said before in that picture in Revelation that John seen that he's seen a great company of people. It was a vast company of people. He's seen, first of all, the company of the Jewish nation, the 144,000. Then he's seen a vast company of people who had gone through tribulation. He put all the tribulation of all those saints of God, of all, all the ages and all the generations. It comes to a great tribulation. Yeah. That's what the word of God is showing us there. So here on the local scene, on verse 4, Paul saying, God knows and about your patience and your faith and all your persecution and tribulations that they're enduring, which is a manifest token of judgment, you see, because what Paul is saying, God's bringing judgment. And when God sees his people being coming under persecution and coming under tribulation, God says, well, my judgment's coming. My, my, uh, my tribulation is coming for the ungodly and for the unjust. That's what God is saying. My judgment, the tribulation that's going to come from my hand against the enemies of God, against the usurpers of the gospel, against those that twist the truth of God concerning his son. God says, I'm going to send that. So he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, seeing it as a righteous thing with God. God's not going to have any guilty conscience when he pours out his wrath, when he pours out his anger on those enemies that have been coming against his son, the Lord Jesus. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now listen, verse 7, and to who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed that's the same revelation that god has been speaking to through paul in the first thessalonians every part of the first thessalonians including this this description here is to do with the coming and the revelation let's not complicate this let's keep it truthful let's keep it simple this is the coming of the lord jesus he says god knows you're troubled so Paul says through the inspiration, unto you who are troubled, rest with us. Do your best to rest because God is going to bring his judgment and his tribulation upon those that are causing you this opposition and tribulation. When? When's that going to happen? That ultimate rest. He says, try and rest now in this knowledge. But yeah. when is this ultimate rest going to happen? We need to underline this in our Bibles. When the Lord Jesus, this is the same Jesus that came in the womb of a, of a virgin. This is the same Jesus that walked and ministered and was baptized and unctionized and anointed by the Holy Ghost. This is the same Jesus who is the Christ promised of God, the Messiah, the Hamashiach of Israel. This is the same Jesus. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed. See, there's going to be a revelation of Jesus. And you read in the first Thessalonians, all the things that accompanies that revelation. Read it yourselves. Pray through it. 
and, and seek God's face about it. And you'll see what's going to happen at the revelation and it's coming from heaven. Thank God Jesus is in heaven and he's staying in heaven until his father says, son, it's time for you now to leave heaven and go back to the earth. It's time for you to set up your kingdom. It's time for me to judge your enemies and to bring your enemies under your footstool. That is what's in God's heart and in God's mind. God has been tolerant. God has been patient. God has been kind. And God has waited and waited for almost effect more than 2,000 years. The grace of God has been on and working in humanity. But the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Let me tell you that there's nobody going to not there's nobody going to miss this event when Jesus appears and his revelation from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I don't think the whole earth and the fueled humanity here is going to be wiped out, but I do believe there will be those that will be setting themselves up against the purpose of God in the earth. Perhaps it may be the nation of Israel. This could be also the fact of the time when, when nations gather together against Israel. But God says he will punish with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But what's more important to Jesus is verse 10. When he shall come, hallelujah, when he shall come, it's Jesus, Yeshua, the Hamashiach, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. What a day that will be when Jesus we shall see. When the sound of the voice of God and the last trump sounds, what a day that will be when Jesus calls us to meet him in the clouds, in the air, and to rally with him as he further descends to the earth and to the world to set up his kingdom. You see, this brings us into the, into the setup of the stage of the world when we come into chapter 2, and that's regarding the man of sin. Now we beseech you in verse, two, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming. You see, that's the revelation. That's the perusa. That's the coming, the appearance of our Lord Jesus. Just what he has described, a day of destruction of enemies of God, a day of the glorification of Jesus amongst the saints that believe in admiration and worship. What a day that will be. But by Paul's now saying, now we beseech you, because you see between chapter, or sorry, book one of Thessalonians and two, people have been saying things, the devil have been getting in, causing doubts and twisting the truth. But Paul's now correcting the thinking. And he says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's clear, isn't it? Yeah. It's his coming. It's destruction against the enemies. It's the admiration of the saints. It's the glorification of Jesus. And it's our gathering together 
unto him. Thank God there's not one child of God is going to miss this gathering. Hallelujah. It's exciting to know that God knows everyone that belongs to him. And when Jesus calls us, he calls everyone to come and meet him in the clouds and a rendezvous with all his holy mighty angels because he's about to descend and destroy the deception and the delusion of the man of sin. Oh, brother, what are you saying? I'm telling you, this is exactly what the scripture is saying. Paul in verse 2 says this, that you be not soon shaken in mind. Don't be troubled in your mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You see, God has the time of sending Jesus, a specific time. But the world will develop up until that time. And now the Holy Spirit is going to give us an insight and an understanding and a revelation of what's happening prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus on this earth. And that's what's important. And that's what we're going to consider today. Let no man deceive you by any means. And I and I I plead with every brother and sister in Christ Jesus today. Do not be deceived. Don't listen to stories about this and stories about that. This is what the scriptures and the word of God declares that prior to the coming of Jesus, these situations will be there on the earth. And believe me, it's a religious Christianity type of situation that's existing on the earth before Jesus comes. But he comes to destroy the deception and the delusion. We'll find that as we read on. But in verse three, he says, let no man deceive you by any means. People will use all sorts of means to make themselves popular or to sell more books or do whatever, but they'll glamorize up this whole story. But this is the truth here that Jesus has will come and mighty power and glory. But he says, let no man deceive you by any means. Do not get deceived. Do not be deceived for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So God says prior to Jesus coming, there's gonna be a falling away. What does that mean? That word means in the Greek, as far as I know, an apostasy. Now, what's an apostasy? It means you're falling away from that revealed truth. Let me say there is only one truth that God's concerned about, and that's the truth about his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's an understanding and a, a knowing of knowing the Lord Jesus in truth. It's an understanding of having a focus on Jesus as the truth. This is what the truth is. There will be a falling away from that. There can be a great religious fervor, a great religious zeal, but the focus is not upon Jesus. Why am I saying that? Why is it being emphasized? Because as we read on, we see what the devil and what man has done in the environment before Jesus 
returns and comes back. And the only thing that can change the situation that's developing, that's falling away, uh, the man of sin, he says, first there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. That's something, isn't it? Yeah. That's something. Out of this great apostasy, this great cooling off from getting the focus on Jesus onto a wonderful, religious, exciting time. Mm -hmm. God says, you're missing, you're falling away now from my son. And I want to tell you today that that's the most important thing to God's heart, yeah. his son. Three times when Jesus was upon the earth, it's recorded that we know. Three times God spoke from heaven right through unto earth. Three times concerning Jesus, and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want to say that God, first and foremostly, is really basically very much caught up with the love towards his son. This is God's focus. And God says to the church, to the people of God on the earth, where's your focus? What are you focused on? Are you focused on the organization? Are you focused on the building? Are you focused on personalities and popularities? God says, focus on my son because there's a falling away coming. Yeah. And there's one man going to rise up in that falling away who himself will seek to be the center of the focus of people's affection. You know how we, we worship, they say, worship idols, certain personalities come on the scene of time and it's either through music or talking or whatever, but people say, oh, I worship him. It's a simple way of saying it. It's, it's all your, uh, 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 your feelings and your heart and, oh, you just love him. I'll worship him. That's what it is. Yeah. God says, I want you to take all those feelings of love and endearment and happiness and joy. I want you to put those onto my son. Yeah. I am a jealous God and I will not share my son with another. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And I'm telling you the truth as I speak on this radio station today. We're not doing this for popularity, not doing this for money, not doing this for fame or fortune. We're doing this to try our best to be a servant that's true to God's word. Why? Because the day of judgment is coming. Yeah. And we'll have to answer for those things that we say and share, especially if we're ministering in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he says, there come this falling away, this apostasy first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Further on down the scriptures, later on we'll come across it. I'm not sure we're going to get through all of this today. So this, this particular subject of the man of sin may take us two or three sessions. So that's the way it goes. Whenever I get the signal from ours, your time's up, five minutes. That's when I wind down and then we'll have to just pack it up and come back next week, God willing.
So let's hope and trust and pray we're spared. But at the moment, how are we doing for time, Aris, at the moment? Oh, you're okay. Yeah, you, you're doing very well. You're probably about, uh, you've probably got about 20 minutes airtime. All right, we're going on. Thank God. So this man, the man of sin, is going to be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, before we go into look at the man of sin so that we have a better understanding, I want you to mark those words of this man of sin that's going to be revealed. He's called here in the scriptures, the son of perdition. I want to look at another man in the scriptures that's mentioned, who's also called the son of perdition. That's twice. And it's amazing to think that this man, this man who's going to hold the world, especially the religious world, and Christendom, and all those else that want to worship God, he can hold them in, this, in the palm of his hands and under his influence. He's called the son, as well as being called the man of sin, he's being called here the son of perdition. One other place that's used of a man in this world. And we're going to look at some scriptures and we'll look at it and see who that is. The man of sin. Well, that is a man called, we all know, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. So the first, the first scripture I want us to look at of Judas. Let me see now. I can find my notes here. First scriptures in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 4. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 4. Read these verses. Well, I'll just read a few more before that. This is telling us the time that Jesus was calling his 12 disciples. This is the Lord Jesus now in his ministry. And he's calling 12 people, 12 men to himself. And chapter 10, verse 1 in Matthew, we have this record. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power. Now listen, power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Yeah. That's a tremendous gifting and that's a tremendous calling and Jesus because he's the Lord Almighty the Son of God has got authority in heaven and earth and hell he gave this power to his 12 apostles he called them apostles mm -hmm. against unclean spirits so these spirits could not resist the authority and the power that Jesus was bestowing upon these 12 men to cast them out. So when they met any person that had an unclean spirit, 
they they commanded them to go out in the name of Jesus, and out they went, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So there's there's a ministry of one would say signs, healings, and wonders, and tremendous happenings. And I'm sure in those men's lives, when they went out, we're told that when they came back from that time that they went out, they were full of joy of the Lord and even told Jesus that the devils were subject to them. That's how great that ministry was that was happening. I want you to take note of that because I believe it's possible, not even possible, but even probable, that God will give that ministry again prior to the coming of Jesus upon the earth. Verse 2, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They're sort of gathered up in two here. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, whose name was Thaddeus, now listen, here's the last two being mentioned. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. This man here, Judas Iscariot, was called along with the other 11 into the ministry, into the gifting, into the work of the ministry, into the calling, and was sent out. I no doubt that his friend Simon the Canaanite was with him. And as Simon and Judas went about the villages and talking, do you think that Simon had any low opinion of Judas? No. They thought Judas was a great person. Judas was a great man. The second scripture I want us to quickly look at is Luke 22. I want you just to try and get a little bit of an insight into Judas Iscariot, before we go to the man of sin. This is a man called by Jesus, gifted and given power by Jesus. Luke 22 and verse 3. This is an interesting, but it's quite a shocking scripture. It says here in 22 and 3, this is the same Judas. It says then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the number of the 12. So we see now that Satan has been able, for whatever reason, to enter into Judas Iscariot, being one of the number of the 12. So Judas was one of the chosen 12. Judas was one of the anointed of the 12. Judas was one of those that were sent out by Jesus. And in verse 47 of the same chapter. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Verse 47 of the same chapter, we read these words. This is the words of Jesus. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude... And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve. There he is again, Judas. Now there's other scriptures 
we haven't got time to go into, but I'm just giving you a little bit of a taste of what went on in Judas' life. Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. This is the Judas that we just read about that Satan entered into him when Jesus handed him the bread and the sup. And, and Judas had a plan in his mind. He had a desire. He was, and being corrected and rebuked, I believe in some of the scriptures there, when this woman bestowed on Jesus a perfume, an anointing, an anointment, he found a reason. He found a reason to say that there was a complaint now, but he was thinking of himself. But here he was coming with a crowd of people to come to take Jesus. This was Jesus' last last day before he fell into the hand of these people. Judas came and was going to portray Jesus with a kiss. Verse 48, I've read that over. Now, let's go over to John. John chapter 6. We won't be long now. We're nearly, won't take as long to go through these scriptures. John 6, verse 70 and 71. John 6, verse 70 and 71. Jesus now speaking. Prior to that, the apostles and him were talking and uh, they made Peter made a confession by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus and Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe, verse 67, uh, 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now listen to what Jesus said here. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that you betray him, being one of the twelve. Isn't it a shocking situation? But Jesus knew that there was actually one of his ministers. One that was gifted one that was given authority to cast out devils. And I'm sure he did it. But yet, the enemy was able to get in under his life. The enemy was able to get in and destroy him in a sense that he would even betray Jesus, his master and his friend. Verse chapter 12. We're nearly finished. Chapter 12 on the, on the life of Judas. Chapter 12. Don't forget we're going to the man of sin. But before we do, we're looking at the life of Judas because they've got something in common. Chapter 12 and verse 4. This is about what I was referring to there. Mary took a pound, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus. You see, there's a lady with true heart, true love in her life, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her. She had been delivered 
she had been saved, she had been changed, she had been cleansed, and God had blessed her, and she just loved Jesus with every part of her being, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now listen, here's the reaction. People were were joining in with this adoration of Jesus. Except this one person. Verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples. That's a terrible way to put it, isn't it? But that's all he was, one of his disciples. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Judas interrupted the worship, the adoration of Jesus, and he was making out the point. This was a waste. This ointment should have been given to the poor. But it says in verse 6, you see, God knows what's going on in the heart of hearts of people. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. Shame on him. He's just using the poor to get the money. Sort of remind you of some things that happened in these days. We'll tell you about the poor, about the poor this, the poor that, this problem, that problem. Just give us your money. But because he was a thief and had the bag, you see, Judas was trusted to carry the money bag and bear what was put therein and to carry it around with him. But this is the same Judas Iscariot here in the scriptures. Now let's go to chapter 13 and verse 2. Are these wonderful scriptures? It says here in chapter 13 and verse 2, and supper being ended, this is the last supper, so to speak, the time that Jesus had with his disciples. And supper being ended, and right amongst them, and amongst them, and as it came, the supper came to an end, it says, The devil, the devil having I put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That's a terrible, terrible indictment against Judas Iscariot that the devil has been able to take advantage of his carnality, of his love for self, of his love for money, of his love for popularity and, and provoke him to betray Jesus. The last scripture here I've got about Judas is in 17, chapter 17 and verse 12. And it's important because it takes us right back to where we were in Thessalonians. Chapter 17 and verse 12. Jesus is praying, we read verse 11. He's praying to his Holy Father. And now I am no more in the world. So he knows he's on his way out of this world. But these are in the world. That's his people and his apostles. And he says, and I come to the Holy Father. This is the only one that I know I can call Holy, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. 
while I was with them in the world. That's Jesus praying to his father about this company with his, with his brethren and with the apostles. I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me. And a wonderful thought to know that God, Jesus, can keep us. I have kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost. But the son of perdition. He's obviously referring to John or to Judas Iscariot. He's the only one that was lost out of the 12. He's the only one that the devil was able to get into his life. He's the only one that had his eye on the money. He's the only one that had, had his eye on the popularity. The ministry that he had going round and healing and, and giving sight to the blind and, and casting out devils, it still didn't stop the enemy, Satan, coming into his life. And he became a lost soul. And he's called by Jesus himself, the son of perdition. Let's go back to Thessalonians. I think we're doing well here today. Yeah, we are. to know that we're getting on so well. But I want you to keep those scriptures in your mind about Judas. And it says here in 2 Thessalonians where we left off, on verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. So the environment is set up, an apostasy is coming, and that man of sin, it's called a man of sin, sin is a transgression, sin is a transgression of the law. It means that you're not controlled by the laws of God, to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the laws of God. This man is in, rises out of this apostasy of, of um, sinning and lawlessness. That man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Mm. Now, it's important to remember what Judas was as he served the Lord, as we come to look at this man of sin, because we will see a lot of things happening here in his life. But before we go into that, the next thing I need to show you something here, which is very important because it has been spoken and taken out of context and out of the scriptures. And uh, we have a few minutes left, so I'll just get it started and then we leave it there for until our next session and God willing, we'll carry on the next time. But let me just introduce you to the subject at hand, which is the temple the temple. Now the temple in Israel was the center focus of God's place of worship. The temple was accepted by God to be a place where the people would come and worship him. Do you remember in Jesus' young life, his parents couldn't find him. And when they did have to go back to Jerusalem, they found him. Where was he? He was in the temple. And he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house. So the temple was a great building. It was a house set apart for God to come in to worship God. But I want to point out something here to you now. And I want to show you this scripture. 
if you would turn with me to Matthew 21, Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be closing just shortly now. So this is just to get you started to know what's coming. And in the meantime, if you can do some research and some searching, you can find out yourself what I'm saying. Matthew 21 and verse 12. There's a reference here. I'm using the old King James Version, the old English translation. It helps me in my study. I can get into the Greek and get into the Hebrew. And I can use all the other translations where and when I so choose. Not a problem. And verse 12 of chapter 21. And the first line that says this. And Jesus went into the temple of God. And Jesus went into the temple of God. The, the Jews were inclined and, and commanded by God of old to go to the temple three times a year. Three feasts, Passover, Feast of Weeks, and Tabernacles, and to worship God. Jesus, with his disciples, kept those feasts. And we always know that to mention about the Feast of uh, Passover. But here's the temple. What does that word mean, temple? Well, I want to tell you what it means, that this particular word here, temple, that's used, is a word which is called Hiron, Hiron. I'm only going to give you the first, the first word of this, Hiron. And in the Greek reference on on Strong's Concordance, it's G two four one one, and it's used in the New Testament seventy one times. That's the temple that Jesus walked into when he was ministering by the colonnades, when he was ministering in the temple. That's the physical surrounding temple. That's the Heron. It's important that you know that. Well, you say to me, but brother, why you tell me such a simple thing? I understand that. Well, that's good. You do understand it. Thank the Lord for that. But now there's something else I want to tell you. You may not understand this as well. There's another word in John's Gospel. Let's turn around and then we'll close with this. John's Gospel, chapter 2 and 19. Now, this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Let me show you why it's interesting. Jesus is now speaking. And he's coming against opposition. And, uh, well, let's just look at this here in verse 16. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. In other words, mm. having zeal for God's house is going to be his undoing. That's what it meant. 18, then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Now listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Now we see the same word used. Temple. However. This is not the same word. Which we looked at in Matthew. And that's the important thing. 
And as God spares us until next session, you'll see and understand better when we look at a few scriptures about the Huron. This word also, the Huron is used 71 times here on the physical temple, but this word is used also 46 times, but it's a different Greek word. But it's translated sanctuary in some translations, but in this translation, it's the same word temple. So if you're reading through this, you would think it's speaking about the same thing, but it's not. What difference is this temple? Well, I'll tell you what this temple is. This word is not here on. This word is naos. And I'm not trying to be clever. I'm just a simple person from Northern Ireland. I am not a professor of professors, but I have been given by God a mind that allows me to read and uh, an ability to read what some men are other than clever me have made out and understood these things. So this word temple is the word naos. So you've got those two words, one for here on, which means the physical temple that you can walk into and where you can talk with people and you can pray to God. You can do all that stuff in the temple, a physical building. Yeah. But this temple is the word naos. And that word naos is the temple within the temple. So in other words, it's the holy place where God's presence is concentrated in the holy of holies, the holy place. That's the difference. Jesus said, destroy this temple. And that's the holy place. Jesus was the holy place of the eternal God. His body was the temple. Now we're going to look at other scriptures, a few that tells us about the, the here on, but more importantly, those that tell us about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we look at that in the same way we looked at Judas. And when we go back into Thessalonians chapter two, and we look at the man of sin, we see the man in the light of Judas' description, and we see the temple in the light of the scriptural description here of the temple being the naos. And you'll see and put two and two together and hopefully the two and two will make four, not five, not three, but four. And God wants us to know the truth as it is in Jesus. And it's my job, I believe, to tell you the truth as it is in Jesus. And may God help us in this matter. And thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Aris, for the opportunity. We trust and pray that what we have shared so far has been a blessing. But more importantly, as time goes on and you get the whole picture, you'll really be awakened and you'll really be preserved for the apostasy that's developing, the lawlessness that's developing, and the man of sin will rise up. So there you go. Thank you very much, Sharif. Oh, that was really good and enjoyable as usual. And uh, yeah, just just time now to say goodbye to everybody. And I promise you, we're going to be back. We need to know more. We need to know more. Well, thank you again, Hugh. And we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. God bless. <laughs>